Hello, I'm Nathan Cohn, class of 1995. Each month, this Learning Together podcast features faculty, alumni, and other distinguished guests who've established themselves as experts in their fields. On occasion, we also document and share how Trinity alumni impact others' lives in a meaningful way. Today, you'll hear about Susan Naylor Moulton, a nonprofit founder and philanthropist who graduated from the class of 84. Hear her inspiring story about starting a charitable foundation to honor the memory of her late son. Will, who was eight years old at the time, was killed in an automobile accident in Maui in 2007. Trinity University's Vice President for Alumni Relations and Development, Mike Bacon, a Trinity graduate of the class of 89, talks with Susan Naylor Moulton about her philanthropic ventures. Well, Susan, it is a pleasure to be with you by phone to talk today. I love your background at Trinity, and I wondered if you could share a little bit of your time at Trinity. What did you study? What were some of the things you remembered? Like, what did you do outside of the classroom? It's funny. I ended up at Trinity back then. I was there um, 80 was when I graduated from high school, and everyone couldn't wait to leave San Antonio (laughs) and leave their parents. I was a big mama's girl, daddy's girl, and the guy I was seeing at the time went to UTSA, and that was a little big and intimidating for me. So sure. I, I chose Trinity. Barely made it in by the skin of my teeth back then. It was it required a, a thousand on your SAT, and I made a thousand thirty. Went woohoo! Okay, that's it. I'm in. Yeah. I loved that it was small. I graduated from Churchill here in town, and there were 900 in my graduating class. Oh, my gosh. And I studied journalism mostly there. I, I wrote for the paper, and um, so I knew a lot of what was going on, but I was very mousy and under the radar. At Trinity, I was very quiet. I didn't get involved with any of the sororities or anything okay. like that. Um, but no, at Trinity, was, um, it was just, it was so warm, and it was like a small town. You know, we were talking about San Antonio. San Antonio is like a small town, and I think Trinity really reflects the flavor of San Antonio. As you think about that, you really got there right at the time Dr. Calgard came as president at Trinity. Yes. And I think it really started some changes. Trinity kind of morphed from what people would jokingly have called a country club school to a more serious academic school. Absolutely. Absolutely. When you think back to what you studied, uh, you were mentioning you were history major and business major, a pretty practical degree on the business side. Business was practical and... um it's history was accidental. And it's interesting because I went from there. I got married right out of college. I was going back to get my MBA. In fact, I had been offered an assistantship. I, I Once I got in and started clicking with the business, I did really well. Mm. But I, instead, I chose to get married and I became a travel agent for $7 an hour. Oh, my gosh. Well, so in history, was there a particular professor that persuaded you that that was the angle or? Now, now you're going to get me crying. Dr. Don Everett was my mentor. Um, he was amazing. I, I loved that man and Linda Hall. Um, and I, really, it was because of them that I ended up with a double major because I took any history class I could get my hands on. Right. It was just very. And then it's interesting because then I was a travel agent for 20 years. And um, and I'm sure that history background and the business background helped you. It's interesting. Yeah. It, it, how it ties in. Well, so you and I share something. Dr. Everett was my advisor at oh. Trinity. And became a really close friend of mine. And uh, I, I honestly, it brings me to tears, too, because I went to go see him the week before he passed. Oh. He was in a nursing home, assisted living up here um, off of Broadway. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
my buddy Peter Mako, who was in yes. your class, who's my brother-in-law, Peter and I went to go see Dr. E, and um, we brought him Herlabel's chicken, Aww. illegal contraband, into the assisted living unit. Good for you. And anyway, it was wonderful. He was a good man. Oh, and, and Peter Peter was a great tennis player, Peter's I recall. Yeah, still a really good player. Yeah, I haven't seen him in a while. Well, I haven't seen anybody in a while. He's a easy boy. You've been Since a March. traveling fiend. We, none of us have seen people. You're right. Well, you know, I know obviously travel became your, your role after you graduated, but you also had a lifelong passion for horses. And in talking to mutual friends, I know you even had horses while you were at Trinity. Oh, yeah. Talk a little bit about how you're, you became so passionate about horses. Well, I'm from San Marcos originally. I was born on a ranch and I didn't even see another child until I was four. <laughs> and uh, then they moved me down here. That's back when you started kids in kindergarten at five. So they moved me down here so I could start kindergarten. And my father's my grandmother was from here, my father's mom. So he wanted to be closer to take care of her. But I went with my dad to the stockyards, you know, every day to buy cattle. And they had me on a pony when I was one. Wow. I had a big horse. When Even when I went to Churchill, that was my recreation was, you know, I, like I said, I was kind of mousy. I related more to animals, to horses, dogs, okay. more than people even. So um, but we out at Blanco and Bitters, that corner there, ironically, where uh, Gordon Hartman's office is. I know was, exactly where you're That's talking. where I used to ride. That was our place. Dad, back oh then, gosh. that's when you dumped kids off for the day and said, we'll see you, we'll for, you for, dinner. for dinner. Right? Yeah. And, you know, we rode all over that place. And then um, Deerfield Estates was um, another, gosh, was 800 acres. And we had 50 mama cows and a bull. Oh, oh my This gosh. was back in the 70s and 80s. Yeah, before all of that land was developed. Before all that was developed. So... That and my father always had racehorses from the time that I was um, six or eight. Like Ramona Bass and I become friends now because I remember my dad was friends with her dad, Arthur Seelis. Right, and, Mr. Seelis, and, and I, he was on the trade board. By I, the way, uh, really? Well, right. I um, I ended up meeting her. Tim Morrow took me up there. They were grooming me to be the Ramona Bass of this well, suit because she she's saved Fort Worth suit. suit. That's Forks. right. And I think Tim was so irritated because we started talking about racehorses. It's like zoo, what's zoo? Let's yeah, yeah. talk horses. Because I started naming off Noliase, Soy Numero Uno, all the horses that they had that ran in the Derby and the big races. Right. Of course, we ran at the Bush Tracks in Texas and then over in Louisiana because uh, so we get a paramutual. I actually got in trouble at Trinity by the, the only time I got called in the principal's office. I wrote an article about having paramutual wagering in Texas. Advocating. Yeah, I, yes. And I was an editor. So, in, you know, I was like, young lady, I don't think that's appropriate. I told news. Sorry. But yeah, so horses have been in my blood forever, and um, and I actually um, I still have my trainer's license in Texas, and I galloped my own horses at Ratama, and and trained up until my son passed away in 07. Well, and I recall that you were a pin hooker, and I, I don't even know what a pin yeah, hooker a lot of people is. Don't know. And that's what we did. We we went to the sales and bought yearlings, and we brought brought them home and broke out at the old Ratama, broke them there, then took them across the street to the, the racetrack and. Train them, and then you sell them at the two-year-old training sales. In fact, okay. I'm going to a horse sale um, up at Lone Star Park this weekend. I've got four of my horses coming down from um, Kentucky. Kentucky. So, oh my gosh! So they've been in my blood my whole life. I, I love riding. It's funny. It's almost like your life is full circle because we'll end today talking about kind of how you're back in the horse world. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It is full circle. Another of part of that that I know has been important to you has been the idea of polo. You've been involved in polo here in San Antonio. Talk a little bit about that. Interestingly enough, so um, 
when I started this nonprofit in 2007, I, I stopped riding on the track. I um, I actually trained for about an, another year after that, but I was 45 at the time. I've been very lucky to have not been hurt. A lot of right. my mutual friends are in wheelchairs or oh, no longer with us because okay. they were killed on the racetrack. It's a very dangerous job. And um, so I thought, you know, I had my fun and I'm, I'm going to quit doing that. And I was doing all this nonprofit work and going mm-hmm. to lunches and dinners and galas and realized I need to find some exercise and I miss horses. And at the time I was um, staying in Maui about half the year and uh, I bumped into Polo one Sunday. And I thought, I'm going to try this. I want to get back on a horse. So I started taking lessons over there and um, then I met Ursula Perry. That's and right. She, she pulled me in the San Antonio Country Club. San Antonio Country Club. San Antonio Polo, Polo Club. Right. And I've enjoyed playing here. And in fact, I would bring my t- my team over from Maui and we won the King's Cup. You know, they just started that. We've won it every year, I think, about that I played. But one year I was hurt. I broke in my ankle and my shoulder, so I didn't get to play. But um, we had a lot of fun with that. Gosh, yeah, I, and, you know, there is talk, I think, and I, I don't know the details of someday some Trinity participation in polo. No, they are now. You didn't know that? What, tell I me thought more. I caused that because, you know, I was talking to Danny about that. Right. I'd love to see you guys have a polo team. No, there's some Trinity students Great. that are playing polo. That's love a big deal. Name. In fact, I've got some saddles because my team is kind of dissolved now, and I spend, you know, a little more time in Kentucky, so I'm playing up there some. But anytime I'm here, I try to go out with Ursula and get on a horse so I can start coming back to San Antonio more. So talking about giving, you know, obviously your philanthropy is something that you have been focused and invested in for at least the last 15, 20 years. And I know for you in many ways, philanthropy is born out of the grief that you've had in your life and how you've tried to be positive and deal with it. Talk a little bit about how philanthropy really started for you and why it's so important. It's a pretty amazing story. Um, I was on vacation with my family. My older son was 19 and I was going to pick him up from a bicycle down the volcano tour on Maui right. Sunday morning at nine 30. My younger son, Will was eight at the time and uh, we were traveling along and a girl um, oncoming traffic lost control of her car mm. and crashed into us. And um, she and I survived, but Will did not make it. And right. um, there on the road, when they finally got me out of the car and they were working on Will, I had to circle people around because it happened at a very popular surf spot and can we do what can we do? And I said, I'm just praying, pray with me. And uh, it came to me, Will Smith Foundation, his Will's, that was my son's name. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I was having my little discussion up there, the man upstairs and said, look, you're the boss. Um, I understand if you need him. I know why you would want him because he's so good. Will was such a benevolent child and always helping other kids. I've heard so many stories afterwards that I didn't even know of his acts of kindness. And I said, please let him live. But if, Whatever happens, live or die, I am going to form a foundation for children in his name. Mm -hmm. I came back. I called my attorney, Boxy Hornberger, and I think within the next month, Will died on June 3rd, and I I think we got our letter a month later. And I never – I started getting on uh, committees to learn how to throw galas and raise money, and uh, our mission statement is broad on purpose because Will wanted to help everybody. Mm -hmm. And it's essentially to provide positive life experiences for children, whether that's through – you know, outdoors, sports, learning, you know, health, all the, all the programs, everything. And it keeps 
selfishly, it keeps me busy. It gives me something to think about and, and, and dwell on that is positive and not the negative. Um, it wasn't about my loss. It's about what I can do in his memory. And that yeah. way, some of my best friends now feel like they knew Will. And they weren't my friends at the time. They didn't know Will. They never met him, but they feel like they know him through me. So it's like I can do all the positive energy. You exactly. know, I remember when I was a consultant before I came to Trinity, you were annually throwing a big gala for the Will Smith Foundation. And uh, it was it was like the thing in town that people wanted to go to. It was a lot of fun. I wanted to make things different and fun. You know, so many galas are the same every year. Well, chicken it, dinner. Yeah, well, chicken dinner and then boring speech. And I like to shake things up a little bit and make them fun and make them creative. And well, make people want to come. And and your 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 close ties to Hawaii have always been a part of how you've thrown galas because you've brought in entertainment and and uh, Marsha Brady. Oh, that's right. Yeah, Maureen's one of my dearest Gosh. friends. Sadly, I've not seen her now in three years, but I'm hoping that she will come to my upcoming wedding. But I met her over there. Oh, my God. That's, she's like um, my wife's favorite. So, so And, and she is a sweetheart. She's very down to earth, and, and she looked to me kind of as a little sister there for a while. I actually still surf with her brother mm. in Hawaii when I'm over there, and he was actually the CEO of a nonprofit at the time. Um, they had a brother that was afflicted, and it, it inspired her to get involved with Best Buddies, and um, so that's that's the history. And how there. she's played out her and, and my connect, yeah, and that's my connection to Maui. And of course, Will Will passed away over there, so I felt like maybe there was a reason that that and the education system and and just things care for children. It's 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 um, very third world. Yeah, it's, a different, it's not the same. Even so though it's I, part. I saw that it needed attention. And honestly, sadly, healthcare. you know, Will's injuries, he probably could have been saved in one of our hospitals over here. Gosh, wow. Hospitals on Maui are, are still, I mean, that's why they're working so hard to control the COVID now, because the hospitals honestly can't handle Couldn't it. Couldn't handle it. That's right. Hello, this is Danny Anderson, president of Trinity University. Thank you for listening to the Learning Together podcast series brought to you by Trinity's Office of Alumni Relations and Development and produced here on campus by our friends at KRTU 91.7 FM. We're so glad you tuned in today, and we appreciate your continued support of lifelong learning at Trinity University. Welcome back to the Learning Together podcast from Trinity University. I'm Nathan Cohn. Let's return to the conversation with Susan Naylor-Moulton and Mike Bacon. You know, I think about some of the projects that you have funded through your work, the Will Smith Foundation, and they're they're not only here in San Antonio, they're in Hawaii, but they're also in Africa. And so, uh, you know, I think about um, some closer to home, you've created the Will Smith School, honoring Will at the San Antonio Zoo. Um, it's a wonderful nature school for kids in pre-K and elementary. You've created um, in Northern Togo, uh, we we talked about it in a magazine article, the Will Smith Mentors Leader Academy. Where I got the idea really for the Will Smith Foundation was we were we were hunters and we were we were in Africa when Will was six. We were in Zambia and six year old little innocent child was just with me on safari and sitting by the fire that night. He said, Mom, you know, we drove through when we drove through those villages today. I saw all those kids and they didn't seem to have much. So when we come back to Africa, I'd like to bring my toys. And, you know, oh, honey, that's so sweet. You know, two years later, that's what made that pop into my mind. Mm. We wanted to help kids. So I'm going to do it for him. 
And um, that's the connection to Africa. But it's difficult to raise money. That's why I can't just focus on one thing. Yeah. Because we wanted to help everybody. And it's hard to raise money over here because there is so much need in Africa. The key to Africa is having boots on the ground. And so people that you trust, people, people that you trust, the money goes the right place because a little bit of money goes a long way over there. And, and, and these children are so bright and eager and grateful and wanting to learn. And, I, and in the 13 years I've done this, I've run into so many young men and women who want to help their own and you know, they just need a leg up. So that's what we do. Well, I know that you have been back to see that school built and they celebrated it. Uh, and then to a big party when you came to town. That school turned into grades one through eight. Now we're through high school. We've also got a PK wow. and now we've got a library that we named after Charlie, my older son. He yes. loves to read. And um, he's the one that loved the station, by the way. So I want to dedicate this podcast to Charlie. I, I love that. That's a nice that touch. That's right. He loved the station and the jazz they played. And, it's it's a legacy um, here in town, that's for sure. But um, but yeah, I, I'm I. It was when we first did the the school in Togo to what it's grown to now. It made me realize I started something because then other people, you if you build it, they will come. Other other donors came on board then, and, and we send doctors over there. Togo. Um, it's Benchal, Togo, and it's 13 hours from the cap- capital. It's very remote. And now the um, the president of, of that uh, country has approached us about building schools in in the capital. Because our Susan, school is amazing. That, we bring our teachers over from Ghana. But again, I've got boots on the ground. I've right. got David People West. you trust. And- yes. And uh, he's up in Nashville, and he just had a similar passion. And we had mutual friends. They put us together, and the rest is history. Well, and so other projects here in town, too, that you've been passionate about. The Witty Museum has been a big passion for you. You're kind of the angel of the Witty, and you've done some great projects there. The, um, I went to the Witty a lot as a child. My dad went as a child. Uh, Charlie, my older son, worked there for a while. He did the Sky Cycle. And uh, <laughs> and I, uh, Maurice is one of my best friends. She's become one of my best friends. So I just have great admiration for her. Ironically, she was also a journalist. And I just, and she's still, I, I, hope I can continue to be as outdoorsy as she is now. Well, she's an amazing leader for them. They've been lucky to have her in that spot for as long as she's been there. You know, when I think about your philanthropy, some people are born into philanthropy. Some people generationally have it happen in their family. Were you born, was your family always philanthropic or is this kind of something that you've done in your lifetime? Um, We really didn't have the excess funds to be philanthropic. Um, I really don't remember my father or my grandmother. um, And back then, there weren't many charities, you know. There was now you can't swing a dead cat without (laughs) a new charity. That's why I'm kind of advocating now a lot of these charities coming together. And that's really what the Wilson Foundation did. We want to see people work together. A lot of people at our galas were donors and other organizations, people that sat on boards, you know, that, that were nonprofits, so they can come together and say, oh, well, you know, I, I support this, but this is also very interesting and they're also helping. That's why it was kind of a, a, it's so cliche to say a calling, but when I lost Will, it struck something in my heart and I have stood up in front of people at these events and said, this is selfish. Um, and it is selfish, it heals me. And so I love doing it. And I wish more people out there that had the means 
to give would realize how much it would change their life and heal their heart. Heal you know? the, the, the terrible thing that happened and turning it into something positive. That's what it did for me. And I think a lot of people would just be lighter and feel so much better about themselves and their lives if they gave, if they helped others. Projects get brought to you all the time. And so how much can a donor really shape a project or should they more, in other words, how directive can you be versus just responding to a request? How have you walked that line? I'm um, I'm probably a bad person to ask because I'm kind of a control freak. I, well, I want to know that my money is doing what I want it to do. Right. And I like being in charge. I, and I don't, I want to feel useful. It, it's time, talent, treasure. It's nice to bring the treasure, but if you can also give your time, and, and that's my sitting on boards, I want to be involved. I don't want my name just on a, on a roster or a piece of paper, and, and I struggle with that all the time. I'm on executive committee at Zoo and Witty, and I want to keep our board members engaged because it feels good. You, you can take pride in that thing that you're creating. You know, when you have a capital campaign exactly. or you're maintaining an education program, you did that, and so I I I. As, as a giver, I, I want to be involved, and, and I think I encourage people to be involved. Well, so I'm curious. Obviously, you have friends who make gifts, too. What advice do you tell your friends as they're thinking about how to be generous? Um, you know, I, I think everybody, and in this is kind of common sense, you're going to want to give something, what I find, um, it, it, something that something's touched your life. You have a family member or something that happened to you in your life. So whatever cause it is you're getting to, but I encourage people to open their eyes up to other things that don't just touch you. Um, And I think that's struggle in the nonprofit world, trying to, to maintain programs, trying to, you know, enhance programs, capital campaigns. I, I think it's difficult to discern why people give. You know, what, what's, like what's their motivation? Like, what's their motivation? Yeah. And, and that's where I encourage people not to be so close minded. And, and um, obviously you only have so much to give. And especially in these times with COVID, you know, a lot of people are struggling and, and it's been really hard for the nonprofits. And um, that's where I think we might see some merging. The other thing that annoys me point. very much is this competition for dollars. We're mm. all trying to help. And I've seen so many people in the nonprofit world that, that are just they're sharks just out for their cause or their bond. Yeah, and, and I try to be empathetic to that. And, and I like seeing people play together. And and some people may, there's a lot of pride and we built this and we built this program and we built this building, but sometimes we may have to start merging together. And and I saw that yeah. yesterday at the Witty, one of our buildings over there, which is the B. Naylor Morton building after my dad. And we are, there's some offices now of other nonprofits in there. And I, I love, know that space. I remember that I love building seeing well. people come together. So, you know, it's interesting. There's always kind of this push and pull in nonprofits between raising operational dollars and then raising money for new things, a new building, a new program. What's been your take on that? Well, just like everything else in the world right now, we may have to all sit back on our haunches and keep thriving what we've built. Um, Rather than keep trying to expand. Rather than keep trying to expand. I I think right now this has kind of been a message for all of us, even in our lives. We've all been so busy that we I don't have a whole lot of family left, but I have extended family and I I find myself now focusing more on my future family and um and really pulling myself in. And gosh, it's brought my blood pressure down and everything. Well, I was going to ask you, so here we are doing this interview in the time of COVID. 
I wonder how has COVID changed your daily life? Well, I cook now, so I don't starve. You were restaurants, right? <laughs> oh, that's when um, I had to leave San Antonio for Kentucky when I found out that uh, all the restaurants were closing. I left here March 18th, the day before Will's birthday, and uh, I've been on the farm up there. for quite. I've been in San Antonio back and forth. Okay. I, I come in, and I take care of business, and then I go right back up there, and I cook for my family, which is kind of neat for me because that's what I was doing in 2007 before we'll die. Yeah, this is meals. like your second chance to yeah, do that I, work. I, yeah. I fed my family and, and I was just a little housewife. <laughs> well, so you say March 18th, that's almost identical to the time that Trinity had to shut down, send all the students home. Mm-hmm. Most colleges were right in that week of spring break. Um, we were able to let students come back and get their stuff out of their dorms and then go home. Um, we struggled, uh, and I think successfully, but we did all of our teaching online the rest of that semester. So now we have students coming back. They just moved in this weekend. Wonderful. And um, first years are on campus, but we've had to de-densify the dorms from 2,100 students down to about 1,000 students because every we're trying to make sure that people maintain all the right social distance. Kids, instead of having a, a, a roommate, are in singles. For this first year. And so it, it's really interesting to see how it's changing kids' experience of, of college right now. Yeah. And, and, you know, and that's probably it's good in a lot of ways, but it's bad in a lot of ways, too. I do believe it's good for people to focus back on themselves. But um, you you worry. I, I worry about um, especially younger kids' interaction. Me, too, know, because we all know they're all attached to their phones. Yeah. And so I, I worry about it too. We're we're really working hard to build community among these kids, and in, in a safe way. Um, I just I was walking through campus yesterday and I saw a group of about fifteen kids playing frisbee, all socially distanced, but nice. throwing it around to each other. I was like, okay, well, that kind of reminds me of how we connected in middle school. That's interesting. That's a new hobby I took up with this COVID is frisbee golf. Hey, you know, we still have that Frisbee golf course at Trinity. Oh, I'm coming to play. It's uh, it's this, you know, those 15 acres that we haven't developed right in front of Lori. Wonderful. Across from the Will Smith School. My boys and I will take you to play. That's I would right. love that. I'm, I'm in. Yeah. <laughs> well, Susan, thank you for making the time today. Really enjoyed this conversation. I love and admire all the things you're doing, for not just our community, but communities around the world. And um, I know your friends are happy when you're back in San Antonio. Thank you very much. So this was fun. Um, I love Trinity and um, it seems like it was just yesterday. Yeah, I feel the same way. And I feel lucky that, you know, I still see people like Dean Grissom. She is uh, Dr. Grissom, Mm -hmm. living out in Bernie, retired. And some of the professors I had back in the day are still there. So not for much longer, but at least for now, it's been fun to be a part of it. That's fantastic. Well, thank you for having me. I'm honored to speak to you about Trinity and and about my life. Good luck with whatever you're doing next, because I know it's going to be an adventure. Thanks. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Learning Together podcast. I'm Nathan Cohn. Today's episode was recorded and produced by Trinity University's KRTU radio station for the Office of Alumni Relations and Development. New podcasts will be released on the last Friday of each month. For more information about our Learning Together podcast series or to suggest a topic for a future episode, please email us at alumnipodcast at trinity.edu.